Hello and welcome to episode number one of The Shift, the weekly podcast for nurses and midwives, proudly presented by New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association. I'm your host, Katrina Lee, and today's guest speaker is Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty. Rosie recently spoke at the professional day of the NSW NMA's 70th annual conference. She's a domestic violence advocate and is the founder of the Luke Batty Foundation, helping women and children affected by the trauma of family violence. Rosie spoke to a packed audience of nurses, midwives and other health professionals late last month. And here she is, 2015 Australian of the Year, Rosie Batty. If you carry on like that, I'll cry. Almost incomprehensible horror. Luke's father, Greg, attacked his son with a bat and a knife. No one loved Luke more than Greg, his father. No one loved Luke more than me. Family violence happens to everybody, no matter how nice your house is, how intelligent you are. It happens to anyone and everyone. Rosie Batty's here with us this morning. The person uh, I know is talking about He you. says he was inspired by Rosie Batty's The confinement. message has been so strong. have made a difference. Very quickly, you know, I'm an advocate. I'm the voice of family violence. I think that's the thing, isn't it? You know, I've got nothing to lose and nothing more to be frightened about. So I am in a position to be able to utilise and reach and, and really truly understanding that unless you are affected by family violence, people don't know how much of a problem it is. Family violence may happen behind closed doors, but it needs to be brought out from these shadows and into broad daylight. One in four children and at least one woman a week is killed. As the Australian of the Year, I am committed to building greater campaigns to educate and challenge community attitudes. I am on a path to expose family violence and to ensure that victims receive the respect, support and safety that they deserve. I decided to speak behind the lectern because since then I've put on so much weight. Um, I'm horrified and it's obviously because since I've become Australian of the Year, I pretty much um, I'm on the road all of the time, darting from airport to airport and speaking at many events and being invited to dine in the most beautiful places with the most delicious food and drink copious quantities of wine. So, um, I'm now on a diet, <laughs> very grumpy lots of the time, but actually um, feeling in a really good place. My trip to Sydney began yesterday, and, you know, it's a really overwhelming journey at times, because I look at where I am right now, and I wonder who this person is because I am still that rosy batty that was Luke's mum. 
but being welcomed by all of you today and knowing how much you respect me for the stand I've taken for the many women and children that go through this bloody disastrous experience called family violence. To know that so many people now recognize the issue and care and are prepared to do something about it, to change society. It's very overwhelming. But it means to me that Luke did not die in vain. His voice has been heard through me. I'm sorry, I don't normally get emotional. I've had a big day, and it's been a really promising day. And the reason I feel emotional is I understand so many people have really looked forward to seeing me, really looked forward to hearing from me. And in fact, your attendance is about 100 more than you normally have here, and that's for me. Well, that's what they've told me anyway. <laughs> so each time I talk, I think, oh, my God, you know, what are these people expecting of me? Can I keep delivering a message that resonates with you, makes you feel hurt, you know? But what I know is we identify with people who are real, not rehearsed spin and promises, and we, we look for authenticity, we look for people who are practicing what they preach and standing up for what they believe in. So I think that's why I moved today, because what I see is the nursing profession, if anyone would understand the prevalence of this issue, you would. <laughs> Tissues. <laughs> if anyone would understand how devastating this problem is. It's you guys. You guys that deal with people who come into your contact, who are experiencing violence, either emotionally or physically. Or when we consider that it's one in three women, I would go as far as to say one in three women here today will know the experience of violence personally. Because it doesn't matter what profession, what suburb, what socioeconomic environment you come from, it is one in three women who are affected. And sadly, it's one in four children. So you see, the statistics tell us, as uncomfortably as it sounds, it is a gender issue. It's a gender issue, and it means that currently, in Australia, two women a week, on average, are being murdered at the hands of a current or previous partner for leaving, or attempting to leave, or indicating they want to leave. Two women a week are being murdered. I keep articulating that statistic because it still surprises me. There are still people who don't know how significant this issue is, how prevalent, and how damaging. If we were to see 
two women a week murdered on our trains and transport systems or in public, the government and the society would be in uproar. We would be investing billions of dollars in keeping those people safe on our streets. But because this is an issue affecting women and children in their homes, we struggle to be believed, we struggle to be heard, and we certainly have our services that are handling these crises constantly battling for funding. Collectively, we have to make sure that this changes. This changes. Enough is enough. So when I look at my journey and I say, how the hell, or people do say, how the hell do you do what you do? How did you survive what happened to you? How do you find the courage to keep going? Where do you get your strength from? You don't get it overnight. You don't just wake up on that morning of tragedy with the ability to just push forward. It's your journey to this point that have equipped you with certain strategies and skills and strength to push you where you never thought you could go. I've spent many years trying to work out life. What is my beliefs? What are my belief systems? What is it? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Where do I find strength and meaning? This cause gives me the strength and purpose and meaning I need to survive because I am making a difference. That fuels me on to know that when I have victims come to me and say, thank you for what you are doing, you have made a difference in my life. I have made certain changes because of you or I feel validated because of you. I no longer feel ashamed or disempowered. I know I'm on the right track. And what is even more exciting is bringing those people on my journey with me and sharing that journey to people who genuinely have now had their eyes opened and starting to understand that as a society, we've accepted this situation for too long. We've never known it to be any different. And the actual fact is, there is hope. There is an opportunity to make sure that future generations do not have to experience what we've lived through. So what we do need to do is put the issue quite firmly out there and say, this is indeed a gender issue. And yes, we do know that not all women are good, and certainly that statement doesn't mean that all men are bad. But by saying it is a gender issue is supported and backed up by statistics that are indisputable. Because violence is about power and control power and control at any cost, 
and I should know because Luke was murdered by his father as the ultimate act of power and control over me so that he could win. There was nowhere else to go. So I, can have, I have a choice. I can stay in my pain and shut out the world or I can say, you are not going to win, Greg. You took away the most precious thing in my life, but you didn't take me. And I owe it to Luke to make sure those other little boys and girls are not used in this way too. So we need to get past our egos and we need to accept that we all play a part and that family violence isn't someone else's issue. It is something we own as a community. No matter where you work, where you live, or what profession you are, you have a responsibility to look within you and how can you ch make a change in your immediate circle of influence. Violence is not caused by drug and alcohol abuse. Violence is not caused by mental health issues. Violence is a choice, and it is, about ben it is about power and control. So we need to stop trying to make excuses and try to rationalize blame onto those other more excusable ways of looking at violence. We need to really understand that this is about gender inequality. And it is very evident that societies, although not perfect, who but they do have more gender balance, do have less violence. And that is why we need to look, at about, look in our workplace cultures. We need to look at our schools and our education systems and teach little boys and girls that they can aspire to be whatever they want to be without the limitations we impose on them from birth so that little girls can have equal opportunity and we mean real opportunity and real equality and little boys can learn to be expressive and sensitive and know that it's okay to be those things and that they don't have to be tough and rough and aggressive. So we all have a part to play as parents and it's a big responsibility because how you model your behaviour dictates how your children are going to be growing up. As nurses, I know that you must feel at times when you come into contact with someone that you suspect or know quite clearly is experiencing violence. It must be very difficult to understand what do I do with this situation? How can I help? What part can I play? Well, I think what's really important is to not be overwhelmed. You can't fix everything. And you are not the experts. You have been trained as nurses, but you are not family violence experts. So it's about working out 
a very key part that you can play that you may not even realise is a significant response. The very first part is to actually believe somebody without judgment and criticism. To actually believe somebody or to actually ask that question, are you okay? I mean, really, are you okay? Is there something that I can help you with? But knowing that you are merely the point where there has been that relationship of compassion and trust that someone may feel that they are safe enough emotionally to actually confide in you and say and explain that they are not okay, that in fact they are living in fear and they are very concerned for themselves and their children. So what do we do with that? My suggestion and advice is always you need to have a strategy. You need to understand the part that you play. And one of those things is to refer them to the right organisations. And that, quite often, is something you may not have ready information for. And what I say is, remember the 1-800-RESPECT line. The 1-800-RESPECT is a tool and an information source that is there to help people who don't quite know what to do to help, either professionally or personally. And is an to make sure that you refer people into the specialised services. The reason it is important to refer people appropriately is because the specialised service does a risk assessment, a safety assessment with the children and the mum. They can join those red flags together. They can determine and talk to the victim in a way that is not offering advice and telling them what to do. It supports their journey because they get it. They understand the level of fear that they may be living within, the level of risk that they may be in. They can support the victim appropriately to seek help through counselling, help through police intervention, help through advocacy within the court system. They know what they should be doing because they're the specialists in this area. By referring somebody in this way, you have done your bit. You have linked them in with people who can and should be able to support the rest of their journey. So by offering that compassionate opportunity at the right time, when they may be very vulnerable because they're here presenting for an illness or a symptom, but they're not necessarily going to say, hello, I'm a victim of family violence. It may well be they're presenting with an injury or a mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or it may well be their children. But if your gut is telling you something is not quite right, then just by asking in a knowing way or in a, an interested, genuine way, are you okay, 
could be enough for them to disclose and knowing that you're going to link them and support them into the correct organisation. It doesn't mean that the police get involved right from the beginning and sometimes that is exactly what the victim doesn't want. There's too much fear, too much drama. They are not the right people necessarily unless there is a crisis. And unfortunately, that is quite often when the police are involved. So what we're trying to do is get there before a crisis happens. So you do play a pivotal role. It is your responsibility as a caring profession to extend yourself rather than think, you know what, it's not my business, it's too hard, I don't want to get involved and I don't know what to do. I'm just going to pretend I don't see it and I don't understand it and I don't want to know. It's understanding that you are not responsible for fixing it. You're merely a point that has offered a compassionate moment in time that could save someone's life by caring enough to extend themselves into linking them in with the appropriate services. And when we consider the complexities of the different communities within, our, um, within Australia, Aboriginal women, 34 times more likely to experience violence. And the percentage of unlikelihood to end up in hospital based on their injuries is horrific. Similarly, we have cold communities with diverse issues, including language problems. It is extremely difficult to know how to integrate and engage with these people who has such vulnerable needs. So they are not going to trust, they are not going to know how to extend and ask for help. But you are a key point of contact, just like other professions. You are a key point of contact and have a duty of care to see what part you can play. So for me, I feel really privileged that my opportunities Australia of the Year gives me this really, really important opportunity to be able to talk to organisations that can make a difference and help me on my journey. You can see the Never Alone campaign. That is a campaign I've set up and I'm thrilled because what it does, it gives me a vehicle where I can say, if you want to make a difference, if you want to help support victims and their children, please join the campaign. If you take out your smartphone and put in neveralone.com.au and sign up to my campaign, you will be engaged and the Nurses Federation are a campaign partner because they too understand that this is a key issue that affects their workforce. Through what you see in your professions and what you may experience in your personal lives too. It is a great opportunity for us to work together. 
and the Never Alone campaign have just presented a petition to COAG with 15,000 people who have signed through the campaign to say we would like to see respectful relationship programs in our schools from as early as kinder, in all our schools, in every state across Australia. If we want to tackle this issue, thank you. If we want to tackle this issue, and we do want to, we need a two-pronged approach. We need to be looking at prevention and education of our youngest, so that their views and attitudes towards relationships can be challenged, because the evidence suggests that young people's attitudes, possibly with the influence of gaming and access to porn through their mobile phones, have deteriorated. We've gone backwards. Where a young boy thinks it's okay to slap a girl, or it's okay from a, woman, a young girl to think it's okay if he apologizes. It is never okay. These are not standards we should believe we need to accept. Where a young boy is now of the belief that an act of power and control is a sign of love. Where are they getting these messages from? How can we influence them before these attitudes are formed? Luke was writing love letters to a girl that he loved for over a year who's very loyal since he was 10. He was already very, very keen on girls in the most innocent way. So we need to make sure that where possible, we're equipping them with messages that they can draw from before they also already have those negative attitudes that they are going to become entrenched in. So we need that prevention, we need that education, but we also need investment into our crisis services. It is not good enough that women are turned away from refugees because there are no places. It is not good enough that when you ring 1-800-RESPECT or a support line or a crisis line that you may not get through. It is not good enough that at the moment you have to leave and get an intervention order or go through the family law court system that you can't afford access to justice. It is not good enough that we don't treat our victims with the respect that they deserve. And instead of supporting their journey, we are victim blaming. We say, why doesn't she leave? We put all the onus of responsibility for a woman's safety onto the victim themselves. We demand that she should leave and find a new life, irrespective of the fact that that will place her potentially into poverty, homelessness, disrupt her life and the children's potentially. We expect that rather than say, what is happening to the perpetrator? Why would it be that he chooses to exert this level of violence? Why is it he behaves in this way? 
What is he doing to take responsibility for his actions? What is what the police or the court system is doing to make him accountable? We should be reversing that topic of discussion around to debating and criticising and judging the perpetrator. But what have we done up until now? We blame the woman for choosing that relationship, for staying in that relationship, for not getting out when she could or should have. And as women, we do it as, ma as much as men do. We need as women to step up. We need as women to demand better for the women that we know have and do experience violence in their lives. As women, we need to be a strong united force that demands change, demands the governments to accept that this issue is not the fault of women, that in fact there are solutions. And right now, we need the infrastructure to support them because as we raise this awareness, and I'm very proud that I have helped, we're causing another dilemma. We're causing the dilemma that you've realized you have rights. We realize that you're not, you do not deserve the violence. You realize that it's not your fault. So you choose to take action. But when you do, you realize and find out that the system isn't necessarily able to support you as people had expected it might. We need to demand those changes, those systemic changes that need to happen. That's why through the Never Alone campaign, that is my mission, to change the systemic failings of the systems are supposed to be supporting us and protecting us and working with us, not just to punish the perpetrator, but to absolutely intervene so that they have the opportunity too for men's behavioural change programmes, understanding the actions and the responses to the responses to their actions and the damage that it may cause, the opportunity for change. We need to demand those processes and interventions and support perpetrators equally as much as the victims that they unfortunately hurt. So with the Never Alone campaign, I am really hopeful that it doesn't fix the world, but it gives me my opportunity to harness this momentum so that when my term as Australian of the Year finishes, it never slips back off the radar, that this momentum continues to grow, that the power of the victim continues to grow too, and that collectively we all manage to grow and hold our governments accountable. And make sure that when the election is coming, whenever it comes, our federal election, that this is fairly and squarely an election issue. And we will vote with our feet. And we will demand, we will demand that this needs to be taken seriously. This issue needs to be, have investment because, you know, things don't happen overnight. This epidemic, this, fear, this is not going to be resolved next year. So we need the investments in our systems and processes. 
because they're going to have to really carry a huge load between now and for the following few years. So my vision is through the Luke Batty Foundation that we continue to empower women, that we continue to really listen to the voices of children because throughout our adult debates, children's voices are not heard. And we, through the foundation, also want to work with perpetrators because I know Greg was not a bad person. He loved his son. He loved his son. And he would never have done anything to hurt him, except he ended up doing the unthinkable. So my responsibility, as I see it, is to help women, help children, and help perpetrators in varying ways because it's all through those three parts of the jigsaw puzzle that come together. So where I get my drive and enthusiasm is through people like yourself. Believing in what I might be able to do, because through your belief in me, Sometimes it overwhelms me, but it helps me rise and keep rising, keep believing in myself because I'm already doing way more than I ever expected. I think it's August next month when I'm actually in the Boss magazine from Australian Financial Review, seen as, with Mike Baird, as a significant leader. And I, as a typical, I think it's a typical female trait, think, what, me as a leader? How could that be? Because you know what? My friends and I, we, it's me. It's just, I'm an ordinary person. I'm like you, I'm like everybody else. But I want to do more. I do have a drive, I always have. I've always wanted to make a difference, but I never believed that when I walk down the street, people might recognise me. Sometimes that's a good thing and other times it's not. But I'm always surprised. I'm always surprised. And I keep thinking, what if I let you down? What if you find out that I'm just really full of the same self-doubt, lack of confidence as the average person? Yet, because I get reassurance from people that I'm on the right track, that I'm saying things that resonate and that people identify with, because I am an ordinary person, I feel strengthened to keep going, that I can, in fact, believe in myself. So I don't know where my journey ends. It doesn't really matter, because for a period of time, I've engaged with thousands and thousands of people, and I've drawn great experience and strength, and I've grown personally, and it has helped me through the most difficult time of my life. I will always be really grateful. So it doesn't matter what happens to me, but it does matter 
what we do with this issue. So you have to join me and you have to continue in your own circle of influence to say, I will, in my own way, in my own immediate vicinity, make a difference for all those people who have been living with this for too long. And together, remember, as you know the power of a collective force, we can make a huge bloody difference. So thank you. Thank you for your time. I thank you. No, I did, I don't know what time it is because I tend to not pay much attention to time, but I understand that, you know, sometimes it's really good not just for me to keep talking because, good God, it's only so long you can listen for. Um, for opportunity for questions because I know that, you know, that's where a lot of great questions come and it does help, I guess, understand how you're thinking, what you're thinking and what you would like to know from me. You can ask me anything you like. Even my breakfast was fruit. <laughs> Actually, no, it wasn't. It was bacon and eggs. Sorry. Uh, you never met. You'd been, yeah. Well, take advantage of it uh, and come up and ask questions. What floored me, and, and I presume has floored others when you've said it, is saying that Greg is a good man. Explain that. Well... He had his faults. What I mean is to begin to believe that a man could murder his son or his children, you would have to think he was a bad man, an evil man, a man that abused his child, because that's the only way we could make sense of it. But that wasn't the case. Yes, he had issues. He was an abusive man, but not to Luke, to me. I'm not saying that didn't damage Luke. I'm not saying that was appropriate behaviour. But when he greeted his son, he greeted him with love, effervescent kisses, hugs. He would speak to Luke about the meaning of life. He would speak to him and do everything. He would travel from anywhere to spend five minutes and just a hug with Luke. He loved him more than anything. He was, to the best of his ability, a good dad. But his behaviour was not, didn't make him a good man. But what I'm trying to point out is he wasn't a violent and abusive man to Luke. But that violence and abuse to me clearly damages a child. Not just because it's hurtful for them to see them, me behave, him behave in that way, but the additional responsibility places on a little boy's shoulders as a sense of responsibility of how can I protect my mum. You know, that's unfair and that's wrong. But somebody has to step up and be the better person, and that was me. Through my own modelling of how to be a good person to my own values and to educate and for Luke to learn that he didn't always like what his dad did but he could, it was okay for to, him to always love him. So you see, 
Greg, 20-odd years ago, wasn't the man that killed Luke. But a lifetime of not getting help, of not accepting responsibility for his actions, where he lost his jobs, he became homeless, a lifetime of projecting blame onto everybody else, rather than taking responsibility, seeing a doctor, accepting he had problems, I guess inevitably meant his future was destined to be a rocky road and one that led him into homelessness, joblessness and poverty. So it is a confronting question, but I guess one that I want to point out, it does not mean to say he did not love his son. So the evil man that we like to think he was does not fit that category. He was loved by his family and he loved his family. His family have to live with what he did. Not only the death of his, their son, but also the action that killed him. So it has far-reaching effects. They are all good people. And he has brothers and sister-in-laws and nephews and nieces who are good people. So I don't know whether that answers the question because Greg is dead, so how can we ask him? So my question then is, is there a road back for a perpetrator? I think, and if I'm talking to men in, who are experts in this area, they would say not for all men. And I believe that Greg was one of those men. But just like some women don't realise they're in an abusive relationship, until, you know, I was one of those. Until the various, and as you probably, and I hopefully you know, that there are various categories of violence. But I thought unless it was physical, it, it wasn't violence. So you're talking about 10 years or so ago. So for me, I had to understand that I wasn't to blame and that in actual fact, financial, sexual, psychological and all those other forms, I had and was exactly experiencing them. The fact he hadn't physically hit me and he actually never really did, did not mean I wasn't being experiencing violence. It also doesn't mean that because it's psychological abuse, it's any less damaging or any less serious, but it's very difficult to prove. So, I've forgotten the question. I do this all no, the time. No. I talk so long, I forget is the question. Is there a journey, is there a road back yeah. for the perpetrator? So I think we have to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I think it's really well, important. Why? Well, what do we do with people if we assume they can't um, recover because what we've got is a lot of attitudes but when it's we, the assumption we make about people who sexually abuse children is that there's no road back really well what we have and this is what i think is important to understand the spectrum of violence at one end we have sexist derogatory comments attitudes that are demeaning towards women so we have those male jokes that put down that kind of end of where we think it's harmless, sexist behaviour. 
On the other end of the spectrum, we have hardcore physical violence, psychological damage, all of that stuff. But if we are not challenging those sexist attitudes, right from that point there, we are enabling and allowing it to escalate. It's not saying that everybody who makes those kind of comments and behaves in that way will become a killer, but it does mean that if you are exhibiting violence, you may not know that it's actually violence that you're conducting. There's a hell of a lot of people in very powerful positions who are highly violent. They may not be physically abusive, but they're using financial um, advantage, they're using psychological abuse, and lots of other things. So what we need to do is actually be really clear that some of this behaviour that you feel is appropriate because of your male sense of entitlement and privilege is actually abuse. So by having those views of the world, your views of the world challenged, gives you an opportunity if you want to take it, if your marriage is falling apart, if you have alienated the people you care about in your world, you have an opportunity, just like whether you go to counselling or whatever, to review your behaviour and attitudes for change. Before I bring some questions in, just because you now sit across this and you've seen and heard thousands of stories in the journey, the fact you've got a standing ovation means there are women in this audience who've either experienced the sort of the spectrum of violence you're talking about or they know somebody who has. Talk to me a little bit about the journey from, from feeling that you're to blame to realizing that you're not. Everyone's journey is probably going to be very different, but it can take years. When Luke got killed, I was at the strongest I'd been, probably in 12 years. And maybe that's how they pick it, because you are so empowered, they no longer have any power over you. The so, well, they've lost you know, all the tactics that they've ever used since they've known you that have worked to get to you you've risen above them. So unfortunately, you know, I'm not saying, you know, it, it, that's what I think, you know, our systems and processes need to work more collaboratively and better because there were red flags. It wasn't something I was aware of because I could never imagine Greg would ever hurt Luke because of what a father he'd been. But people were more concerned about my safety. So I think that... Um, it can take years to regain your self-esteem, to gain strength, to understand that you didn't know how low you'd got in your lack of belief in yourself until you find more and more strength, you know? And that's the whole thing. It, it, it's a difficult journey. We turn to drugs and alcohol for therapy and escapism. There's lots of things that can counteract your journey, you know? and um, some people have more support than others. Some people through this experience have had their children turned against them. Some people have had their families turned against them. Their friends have turned against them. So with all those supports taken and stripped from you, and if you happen to be of another culture with language issues, how the hell do you ever recover from those kind of significant factors? And particularly with a society that's not really understood or wanting to care enough to engage with this issue deeply enough to try to understand. 
So I think that, you know, what is really, you know, that first point of contact that, you know, if you are believed, if people are not blaming you and not trying to push you into stuff that you may not be mentally and physically willing to take on board without the absolute security of knowing you are going to be cared for and protected, um, you know, how it is very difficult to rise above a long history of violence. Um, and you can see it, you know, some women will always, you know, be kept in that space. Wow. Where did you creep from? <laughs> well, that's very nice of you to say, creeping up on you. Gil <laughs> um, Wilson from North Coast. Uh, I've got to say, you are to be admired. The whole audience out there, I'm sitting in the middle of it, and there is a great sense of admiration towards you for fighting your adversity to the point you are. Like, I'm two metres tall and you're a giant to me, mate. So, my question is more to do with... My question is more to do with the, a political side to it, going through the adversity and... Um, can you see the politicians doing enough? Like, from my perspective, I have teenage sons, I don't want them to be in that situation. But I don't see the politicians doing enough. I don't see them putting the money in. I don't see them having the initiative or the drive to save this. And if... if as you said, if, people, if women were dying like this in the supermarket, we'd be doing something about it, but it's not happening. Well, I think it's a really good point, and I think that, you know, haven't we got to a point where we realise, you know, we've, we constantly feel let down by governments, because let's face it, they're there for three years. <laughs> All they're bothered about is getting re-elected. What is going to make them re-elected? Oh, let's... Terrorism, that's going to make me look really good if I respond to terrorism. So let's call it family terrorism and we, you know, let's call it family terrorism. They get very nervous when you do refer to it in that way. But it is true. Um, understandably, terrorism is a threat. But is it the threat that we have living in our terrorism in our suburbs? That's the real threat. But what we have to be understanding of is you know, let's take responsibility for what we can do because this is what we can do. And to clever collectively continue to lobby and insist that governments need to continue to take this issue seriously. Because you're right, we need strong leadership from starting from the federal government. Well, really. Do I need to say more? I think I'm in a face-safe environment to who's say... The, who's the women's Minister for Women? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So what I will say, though, is I believe that we have, from the state government level, a genuine desire to really start pushing this along. It will take some time, but I know from Victoria that they are looking at, through their World Commission, what can they change? And they will. They will. I know South Australia is not a perfect model, but are working very hard in this space. I understand your New South Wales government is introduced across all of New, uh, New South Wales schools the Respectful Relationship programs. I think, you know, a lot of the refugees and the homelessness debacle was very, very poorly implemented. But I do think, and I do know, he called out the NRL 
with the latest incident involving a player and a history of domestic violence. By him calling it out, I know the NRL have been after him. As a pack, he described it. So he's now prepared to stand up and call out this behaviour and say, no, it is not appropriate for a player to continue to be playing when he has a history of violent abuse. That is, yes, it's innocent until proven guilty. However, the charges have been laid. So I think we need to be hopeful that we just need to keep pushing and not accepting this complacency. Because the rhetoric is there, we just need to make sure that the actions are there. And while they continue to give rhetoric, but cut back on services is a really difficult dilemma. Thank you. And unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you very much. Please thank, thank Rosie very much indeed thank for her you. time. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was a really good question. So that was the very inspirational Rosie Batty. If you'd like to join the Never Alone campaign, go to www.neveralone.com.au. You can also visit www.nswnma.asn.au and follow the links from the Nurses and Midwives Association website. Thanks for listening today. You can send any questions or feedback you might have to the Shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au and we'll have another guest speaker for you next week. See you then. Mm -hmm.